a thriving democracy, and a vibrant economy both require an educated and informed constituency. Bob Mong is our guest today on Good God, and he's had two careers in helping to see that come true in Dallas, Texas. Stay tuned. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, your host, and I'm pleased to welcome to the program today my friend Bob Mong. Bob, welcome. Good to see you, George. We're so glad to have you with us. Bob is here. the president of the University of North Texas at Dallas, uh, a school that is relatively new on the landscape uh, here in Texas uh, and is thriving in South Dallas. And uh, this is sort of an encore career for you, Bob. <laughs> That's uh, for sure. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and I've heard you say things like, uh, some of your skills transferred, <laughs> but uh, an awful lot of them were learned on the job. That's huh? right. It's been a steep learning curve. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, uh, you know, I had Ron Kirk on the program uh, a while back, and, and Ron was saying that when he was mayor, he looked at the difference uh, between Dallas and Houston, and among those differences, in his mind, was the University of Houston. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that really Dallas lacked that kind of uh, school that was for the public good, uh, that would uh, really um, create opportunity, especially for disenfranchised uh, folk in the community. And, uh, and, and, and that's really exactly what's happening at UNTD at this point, right? So tell right. us about your enrollment and the exciting things about how fast you're growing and some of the statistics that are just, I think a lot of people in Dallas really do not know what an extraordinary effort this is. Well, thank you. Um, he's right. I mean, I think you could make the case for both uh, Houston, Atlanta, uh, Chicago, they all have major urban universities that, that serve under resource populations. Uh, and until Ron Kirk as mayor uh, made this happen, he signed over the uh, uh, land from the city to UNT uh, system. Um, there was no public university in the city of Dallas. Right. And um, so when I was asked to come in as president in 2015, uh, the goal really was to get it out of startup mode. It had been kind of stuck around 2000 for a long time, up one year, down another. So uh, my role was really to come in and figure out what to do to get it growing. I'm happy to say the uh, state of Texas just came out with its uh, biennial growth statistics for the 38 state universities, and we are now the fastest growing university in the state. We were up about 24% in the last two years. And uh, a San Antonio, which had been the perennial number one, they're number two now. Uh -huh. So uh, we are growing. We're also retaining students 20 plus points higher than we were when I got there. And our graduation numbers are way up. And, and I think, um, did I hear it was 3,700 or something yeah, like 3, that? Yeah, 3,700. Is your enrollment, yeah. And mm -hmm. we're trying to get to 5,000 as quickly as possible. Wonderful. Online. And I think one of the most beautiful things is the relative uh, indebtedness is one of the lowest of any schools where you, you graduate with, with very little debt. Is that correct? Yeah, we've worked it hard because one thing you don't want, uh, if somebody comes in from a household income of 30,000, which is a lot of our students, mm -hmm. uh, 
you don't want them leaving with a pile of debt. There are some schools in the state that cater to an under-resourced population where their students are graduating with 40,000 in debt. We are actually now number one in the country for lowest debt upon graduation for a state university. So we're a little under 7,000. Fantastic. And so we, we work it hard and um, we, you know, so far so good. I, I've raised tuition and fees once in the four years I've been there, um, uh, but we still are only 9,000 all in to go there. So it's a beautiful campus. Uh, you've had me down and I've been able to look around and see what you're doing. Tell everybody where it is and uh, uh, I think invite them to come and, and walk around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, the, the campus is uh, just east of Interstate 35 on Camp Wisdom Road or just south of 20 on University Hills. And it's really not far from 45 right. uh, west. Uh, if you get off to go to Paul Quinn, mm -hmm. it's called Simpson Stewart, but but it but it becomes Camp Wisdom. Right. So we're only about three miles away from Michael Sorrell's Paul Quinn College, and um, so it's uh, we're fortunate. We right now we uh, we're way up in a hill. You can see downtown Dallas, 12 miles away. Mm -hmm. uh, we're just about finished with our largest building, a $63 million student center. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have a law school downtown, mm -hmm. uh, which also has a mission to cater to um, non-traditional students. Most of our students at the law school are in their 30s. Uh, dis disproportionately high number of uh, African-American, Hispanic, and female students. Um, so in both campuses, we. Uh, we're really trying to attract students who often are first generation. At UNT Dallas, Southern Campus, 71% of our students are first generation. Fantastic. Well, when we talk about the public good, the common good, as we do all the time on the Good God program, education is one of those uh, access points to human flourishing. Yep. It is, it is a way to transform uh, generations in families, right, and to, to build generational wealth and self-esteem and, uh, and, and all the kinds of things that allow a person to really participate. Uh, how, did, how did you sense a shift in your calling to the field of education, and what, is that, what has that meant to you in terms of how you understand your work? Uh, <clears throat> well, it wasn't my idea, um, uh, although I warmed up to it very quickly, but Lee Jackson, the mm -hmm. chancellor at the UNT system at the time, called me out of the blue and asked me to have lunch. And uh, he said he wanted somebody to lead the university who knew the city. And uh, I, I was sort of stunned. I, I didn't really think that I was qualified. But the, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I talked to people, uh, the more I got excited about the idea. And so what's been, and it's been actually even more meaningful than I thought it would be. And uh, essentially what I found when I got there was that the educational inequities that tie back to, you know, how much money your parents make, are, that really exists not only in Dallas but all over the country. So I look at it, sort of the top 20% economically, the middle 40 and the bottom 40. Most of our students come from that bottom 40. And if you look at the statistics, 
only about 10% of those students have a, some kind of degree by the time they're 25 wow. nationally. Mm. Whereas almost everybody in the top 20% has a degree by the, and in the middle, it's about 35%, it's up a lot. Mm -hmm. So you can see there are disparities tied directly right. to income. And so it really helps shape our mission and vision at UNT Dallas. Our vision is to be a pathway to social and economic mobility. So everything we do is uh, rooted in that uh, vision. Mm -hmm. that that's what we should do. So we focus our recruiting on urban Dallas and the entering suburbs and, and the Dallas County Community College. Our partnerships are shaped that way. Um, so we believe that that's why we exist. That's why I think we've grown so fast mm -hmm. is that you know people in the community f see us as a leveler. You know, if you come to our school and you persist, uh, you're, you're going to get a pretty good job or you're going to go to graduate school mm -hmm. or a professional school after you're out, mm -hmm. and it is transformational. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you say it's transformational, I think uh, there's a lot of ways to talk about that, right? I think one of them is employment-wise and how one has opportunities for employment. But it also occurs to me that on uh, when, when we think about it spiritually, um, that God has really created us with the capacity to know and to grow and to learn and to reflect upon ourselves and the world and our place in it. And part of that transformation is just the self-knowledge, isn't it? The, 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 the kind of sense of who we are and where, where we fit in the world. Uh, that without that capacity to reflect on uh, history and on uh, you know the, the kinds of discoveries that human beings have made and and participation in that uh, there's a kind of being locked into immediacy right mm -hmm. there's there's not this sense that you're part of something bigger than yourself right and so it it, it seems to me that this this transformation is also uh, a kind of spiritual moral transformation too about uh, helping someone understand their uh, that they have agency in the world, that they can change things, that they can be changed. Uh, so it's a, it's a beautiful thing to, to think of what higher education can do for someone. Right, and ideally it's kind of an awakening. Right. Um, uh, we have three different constituencies and so we have to be sensitive to their different needs. So. Uh, our largest group really are transfers from the community college, mostly from mm -hmm. Dallas, but some right. from Navarro and Tarrant. Mm -hmm. And so they've had some experience in college. Mm -hmm. They just want, they have made the decision that they, they want to take it further. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of non, our second biggest group are non-traditional. So these are often African-American or Hispanic mothers or uh, men who are, uh, in jobs where they want to maybe a master's degree uh, to get promoted. Uh, a lot of the uh, women um, have raised their children. They want to, now they want to go back and get an education um, or they want a master's degree too, depending on their circumstances. Highly motivated, so our non-traditional is very high. They come at night, they come on Saturday, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. highly motivated. 
And then our fastest growing really are the traditional students, 18 to 24. But it's about 30% of our population, so it's our smallest group. Mm -hmm. uh, and they study mostly during the day. But all of our students, for the most part, work. Mm -hmm. So they, they go to school, they work, a lot of them have families. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a, it's a very different population than you might find at, say, TCU or SMU. Sure. Not that they don't have some, some of this, but, uh, but, but we're, we're just a very different community. But, but when they get to the end of this process, they have bachelor at the end of their name. They too. do. You know, yeah. uh, or masters. Or masters, and, that's and, right. Uh, we now have the potential to do doctorates. We haven't, we haven't taken that step yet, but we, the, our accreditors have said, you know, we can do it now. Right, right. So, uh, but right now we're focused, we're mainly a teaching university. Mm -hmm. We do some research, but um, we have some institutes. We have an emerging teacher institute, um, which is producing a lot of bilingual teachers in the community. Mm -hmm. um, we have a Cruth Police Institute, which is a best practice training oh, program. Really? Uh, which is sponsored by the uh, Cruth Foundation through the Communities Foundation. Right. And we have an urban institute called SEARCH, which does a lot of work in the community. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we've really become much more involved in the life of the community. We look at a lot of things through the lens of what are some of the problems that we can help solve. So. We have a grave teacher shortage in North Texas, mm -hmm. so that's one area we've really focused on. Uh, there are a lot of mental health issues in Southern Dallas. The police substation near our campus uh, leads the city in number of behavioral or mental health related calls. Mm -hmm. And so we produce a lot of mental health counselors. And then we're also working with uh, the city manager's office and the community college and the school district on um, uh, trying to help Dallas solve its officer shortage. Okay. We have a criminal justice department. There's a high school, a collegiate academy down the street from us at Carter High School that is the police and fire academy. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to work with all these different entities to get a pathway going Right. Uh, in, into the police department and other law enforcement agencies. So those are some of the things that we're doing. Well, Bob, you mentioned that you weren't sure that when you got into this work that you were fully qualified for it, but that there were some skills that you had that transferred from your former career. Uh, and when we get back from a, a, a brief break, I'd like to explore what some of those were sure. and, and go back to some of the times when we've known each other through the newspaper work right. here in Dallas, okay? Great. So let's take a quick break and we'll come right back. Thank you. The Thanksgiving Foundation operates Thanksgiving Square. Good God salutes the Thanksgiving Foundation for advocating interfaith dialogue to promote understanding, harmony, and friendship in a community of diverse faith traditions and cultures. We're back with Bob Mong, president of the University of North Texas at Dallas. And Bob, uh, we, we got to talking about your um, previous career here in Dallas, about 40 years worth of <laughs> newspaper work, right? And That's you, right. you did have a little brief uh, excursion to Kentucky, Owensboro, as I recall. Right. Uh, because I, I know that because you left our church when you <laughs> went, went, to, went to Kentucky. You and Diane uh, and your son were, were uh, worshiping with us for a time. Right. Uh, but uh, but then you, you came back and you were 
uh, I guess, managing editor, editor-in-chief of the Dallas Morning News for many, many years, and this is where we really got to know one another. Right. And so, so uh, very much uh, the, the, the newspaper work, uh, as in uh, higher education in a community, is about community. It's, it's about, uh, about knowledge, about telling the truth, about uh, informing people and educating people. And so some of the things that you bring now to your work uh, were the product of a different kind of educational process, right? Yes. Uh, so you said that some of these uh, things transferred. What are some of the things that you brought with you uh, to this work from newspaper work? Well, first of all, if you're, any, if you're gonna be any good at all, if you're a leader in newspapers, you have to, you have, to have a degree of humility in the sense that um, you cover a lot of issues. Some of the issues are quite enlightening to the community, and some of them you don't quite get right. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be able to make adjustments, read and react, and and not be defensive ah. about um, uh, your interactions with the community. So one of the things I found most rewarding is I spent a lot of time in the community giving talks, listening to questions, um, meeting with smaller groups, and uh, that ability to listen, that ability to make adjustments based on what people were saying about what mm -hmm. we were doing, that, 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 that was an important process for me. And then uh, I was also fortunate um, to work for a company that really was committed uh, to the Dallas area and committed to putting a disproportionate amount of their resources into news coverage. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are all decisions that owners and leaders have. I mean, you can, some companies may be listed more on the side of profitability, mm -hmm. whereas a company like the New York Times, I mean, they care about profit, but they want to make sure that the quality of what they do is very high. So they might list a little more on the side of high-quality journalism. And, um, and I felt that our company was more in that camp. Yes. Um, and uh, because at its zenith, the company also had many high-quality television stations that uh, really did remarkable work around the country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just the Dallas Morning News, their television stations were winning uh, DuPonts and Peabody's right. much, in much higher numbers than most broadcast companies. This was the Belo Corporation. Yeah, that's right. Right, which owns Channel 8, WFAA, yeah. and, uh, or did. Did, right. Right, right. Gennett so lots of now. changes uh, yeah. taking place. Well, you mentioned uh, learning from the community and adjusting and all of that. I think probably it would be interesting to people who might remember the religion section yep. of the Dallas Morning News, that this was a, a thing that you and I were uh, at, in some ways involved in yep. uh, early on. I remember a breakfast we had. Uh, having a conversation about this after the uh, Dallas Times Herald was bought out by the Morning News, and uh, the you know the the question I rem remember asking you was you know how how can we in in a place in this country like Dallas, Texas, where the largest or second largest congregations of almost every religious tradition right. exist in this region. 
how, how can we do a better job of, of covering the news where so much is really steeped in a, a, a religious underpinning and, right. and religious overtones. And, and, and you initiated the process that created an award-winning section called uh, the religion section of the Dallas Morning News. So what were, what were some of your thoughts about that enterprise and, and how it came about? Well, I remember that breakfast at the IHOP very well. And um, I think one of the memorable points you made was while we had an excellent uh, religion writer, Helen Parmley, uh, her work was, um, you know, appeared once in a while. I mean, she was good. She had a lot of credibility. Uh, but you also mentioned that sometimes we did these sort of um, weird features like the 12-year-old preacher right, right. Uh, that really was kind of a one-off situation and, um, and not indicative of what's really going on in the faith community. And uh, so, so we had that experience and, and you, I thought made really good points about what the potential could be. And then uh, uh, a former head of the uh, Southern Dallas, Southern Baptist Convention, Jimmy Allen, wrote a really interesting uh, piece uh, that critiqued the lack of religion coverage in the country. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think you and I and Jimmy and um, uh, others really started to think about what, how could we do it better? Right. And we started in 1993 a series of community meetings, um, interfaith, ecumenical meetings all over town. Uh, I think we may have had one here, but we had them all over town. And everything you said was just echoed mm -hmm. in every one of those meetings. We want more, we want more intelligent coverage. And it really led to, uh, you know, I had a choice at the time working with my colleagues. We had a magazine that wasn't doing well. We put a lot of money into it and we ended up basically converting uh, what we were investing in that magazine into the religion section. Mm -hmm. After you know, listening, coming up with a plan, going back into the community and explaining the plan, and really got a lot of buy-in for right. what we were doing. And then we launched it uh, either in late 93, early 94, I can't remember mm -hmm. now, but, but it, it really was informed by uh, many, many community conversations. Well, and I think the outcome of it, if I remember correctly, something like nine out of 10 years, it was voted the best religion yeah. coverage uh, in, in, the, in the country in a newspaper. It was, and we, we were able to get high quality staff members Jeff Weiss, mm -hmm. late Jeff Weiss, yes. uh, Sharon Grigsby, mm -hmm. Christine Whip Wicker, Diane and Winston, Diane Winston, many right. other people who, yeah. mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, have gone on to great careers, um, were writing for the section and many others as well. Right. And a lot, uh, I think, w some of the things that we didn't anticipate but occurred, they developed a lot of stories for page one. Yes, yes. And uh, even for the business section. Right, so they, right. Uh, it, not, only, we, not only do we have a, a very good Saturday section, but the stories were developed. And during, say, a presidential year, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
there were there was coverage of you know politi the political right. uh, side of things right. and how uh, various uh, spiritual people were uh, influencing well when you candidates. have when you have writers who understand the religion beat, they also uh, develop uh, relationships with clergy and with uh, professors of religion and those sorts of things. And, and it changes the way the rest of the news operates uh, covering stories that might have a religious dimension. Like I remember, for instance, when uh, David Koresh and, and the, uh, the conflagration down in, outside of Waco took place, you know, so often we, we heard people uh, reporting on this story with, with no real concept of what was the religious imagination of this right. apocalyptic group. Uh, but that's what happens when you have a, a religion team is they know how to get to that aspect of a story, you know, and it's, it's so it, it doesn't then just become about the ATF and about, uh, you know, government and fringe groups. It becomes how is religion functioning in our society to challenge the social mores and those sorts of things and what brings about this kind of thing. Right. Uh, and so when, when you have that kind of staff, and that's part of the loss, isn't it, that yep. happens when you don't, too. Exactly. Uh, because uh, the religion section's gone away. There's an effort now to bring something back in that respect. But in the newspaper business, like everything else, you've got to pay for it somehow. Right. right? So We got to the point where if we could just sustain at, at 300,000 a year, we could break even. Right. And, um, you know, just got to the point where we couldn't do it. Um, right. And we moved it into arts for a while. Right. Uh, and then it just sort of slowly went away. Right. Well, it did, but it, it made its mark. And it also, I would say, led to uh, some other things, Bob. I, I, you know, you, you and I were talking about Thanksgiving Square just a little while ago, which is this interesting place downtown uh, where it really is hospitable to welcoming equally all religious mm -hmm. traditions in Dallas, which is what the religion section did. That's right. It, it, it was, it was uh, actually a little bit uh, challenging at times, I'm sure, for you because of the dominant Christian culture in town, that there were stories about um, minority religions that were featured quite often, yep. but it was on the vanguard of what is happening in America, really, and that is a growing pluralism, a growing sense that your neighbors are of a different religious tradition, maybe from other parts of the world, in fact, and, uh, and, and so in a way it has uh, a lasting effect of having opened our eyes to understand some things about uh, these changing times we live in religiously, too. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So when when you look at uh, the connection between uh, the the newspaper business and uh, and the community itself, uh, I, I think a lot of things are changing. People are not getting the, the paper anymore on their front stoop. They're getting it online and that sort of thing. People's expectations are, are growing about the news. Uh, is there something that you would want to say now that you've stepped back or you've stepped over? Is there something you'd want to say to the public about uh, about how they consume their news and about how they think about the work of of a local paper uh, that that might help us all try to uh, frame this differently in this new day? Well, um, first of all, I think there are some very original. Uh, 
journalism entities that are being created. Mm -hmm. um, I think the morning news is, is changing dramatically. Um, it still does things in this community that no other uh, journalistic uh, uh, company or mm -hmm. uh, nonprofit can do because of its scale. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it's also learning to deliver news through social media, uh, digitally, uh, because the power has transformed from the power of the printing press to the power of the individual. Uh, uh, not just to the internet, but to the individual. Absolutely, the yeah. it's very, and, and it's a very significant change, mm -hmm. uh, which is a good thing. Um, so the morning news continues to um, evolve. But then you see, like, KERA. KERA has a much larger staff than it ever had. Mm -hmm. uh, it does a better job of covering local news in a thoughtful way than mm -hmm. it ever has. You look at the Texas Tribune in Austin, right? where that is a new model. It is. And, it, and it's been, I don't know, I think they've been around close to 10 years. And it's a nonprofit model. It's a nonprofit. Right. And uh, now they don't cover everything, but they cover politics very well. They right. cover higher education very mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and they're making it work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think there are some new models that are emerging. Uh, I think, uh, however the morning news comes out of this, uh, I think it still has that, while it's a public company, it still has a local ownership that dates back more than 100 years. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it still is, I think, the oldest continuing business in Texas. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they're rooted here, they care about the community, so um, those are some of the lessons. But I, I'm encouraged by some of the changes that I see. Good. In, in, in what the, the groups that are producing news. Well, Bob, we're glad you're rooted in the community, too. Oh, thank you. And <laughs> continue to be, uh, just having moved over to a new enterprise, and we wish you well with it. It sounds like it's going beautifully. And thank you for all the contributions you've made, uh, both uh, to the education of the community through the news and now uh, through uh, higher education at the University of North Texas at Dallas. We're grateful for you. Well, thank you. And thanks for being on Good God. Thank you. Okay. Terrific. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason. Produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2019 by Faith Commons. The Thanksgiving Foundation operates Thanksgiving Square. Good God salutes the Thanksgiving Foundation for advocating interfaith dialogue to promote understanding, harmony, and friendship in a community of diverse faith traditions and cultures. 